Hello, folks, and welcome to the TKW Podcast. I am Matt Spendley, and I'm joined today by Kyle Maggio. What's going on, buddy? Nothing much. Kyle, are you a fan of scary movies? Uh, what level of scary are we talking? So, like, a, just a classic. Like, I saw Halloween yesterday, the new Halloween. Yeah. It was entertaining. I'm, I had fun with it. I'm like a... Um... I can't do, like, horror, like, true horror. Like, if you just give me a, a regular rated R scary movie, like, a little bit of blood, a little bit of, of thrills, I, I can do it. But there, there's some truly uh, terrifying and gruesome movies out there, and, and I, I draw the line at, at those. I can't do that. The best movie I've seen this year is Hereditary, and it's the scariest movie I've ever seen in my life. It stuck with me for, like, three days. Let me ask you a question. Yes. Why do you spend money to get terrified because it's a rush it's a rush man like it, it's the adrenaline rush that you get when watching a, a scary movie like in this movie there's this one scene where the woman gets possessed and she's like sitting in the corner of a room and you sit there for three minutes and the tension builds and you expect something to happen and then it kind of just dissipates and it's just the rush that you get watching something like that it can't be replicated by anything else it's so unique yeah see i can't I can't do it. I can't do those. Like, to be truly horrified, I can't do it. Like, when, I think it was Friday night. No, it was last night. No, it was Friday night. Um, I was trying to, I was just trying to pick something on Netflix with my wife. And we ended up doing the how, the haunted. Oh, yeah. The Carlo Gugino show, yeah. The, yeah. the Hill House yeah, show, yeah, yeah. Haunting yep. on Hill House, whatever that is. And that that's like my level of scary. You know, like it's it's mysterious. It's it gives you a little bit of that element, but it doesn't truly horrify. You know, horrify. Right. There's not like blood flying out from everywhere. I can't do that kind of stuff. But but I like I like being scared like that. Like that's like low low end level scary movie. I can do that. Yeah, and Halloween is just a slasher flick. Like it's a let's build the tension with some music and then have Michael Myers brutally murder someone in a way that people in the theater will go ooh. Because that's what happens when you're watching a movie in a packed theater like that. Everyone reacts to it. But it was fun. If you guys yeah. like those movies, go see it. It was fun. I will say before everyone yells at me and calls me a pussy and everything, because <laughs> you know things do things do happen in the comments. Um, I, my disclaimer here is: when I was about six years old, I went to go stay at my uncle's house. My uncle uh, helped raise me, and I went to go stay at his house. And it was my birthday. And then he thought um, it would be a good idea to let me pick a movie on my birthday and when you're young you always want to do things that older folks do so of course um we're, we're scrolling through the movies and my aunt goes like oh do you like scary movies and i don't want to seem like a little bitch boy so i'm like yeah i like scary movies <laughs> like who, do, who doesn't like scary movies she's like do you want to watch scream and i was just like okay yeah and like I, oh I, no I, and i knew what scream was you know everybody knew the mask so um so she she puts it on and my uncle you know he says that we, we watched it and i watched the whole thing and i was just horrified watching it i don't blame but, you but I, but i also didn't want to be like no turn it off because i didn't want to seem like a little bitch <laughs> so I, I manned up i got through the whole thing and then i didn't sleep the whole night and then every time after that i'd be outside when we moved to connecticut we lived in the woods so 
every time I would like get home, I'd sprint inside. I didn't want to risk getting caught up in the woods somehow. And, and the scream guy would come and kill me. So uh, it, it drastically altered my life after that. So if you're wondering why I don't do the, the full on horror flicks, that is why I, I can do low end, low end, scary movies, can get little, little cheap thrills, but I cannot do this uh, full on horror. That said, I think I can probably watch Halloween. I think that's probably the the ceiling for where i'd go with these but nothing past that wow scream is a seminal moment a seminal movie in kyle maggio's life wow yeah it's, it's not what it's not what you want man all right let's uh let's talk about the knicks so since we last talked to you guys the knicks have lost two games by a combined four points losing on friday night to the brooklyn nets in brooklyn thanks to a karis levert layup with one second left and losing last night we're recording this on sunday morning to the Boston Celtics by the score of 103-101. Let's talk about last night first, and then we'll work our way back. So last night we saw Tim Hardaway Jr. again, 24 points. Not incredibly efficient, but we saw him show out. We saw Ennis Cantor do his thing. Of course, the incredibly unfortunate Kevin Knox injury. He's going to miss two to four weeks. And thankfully, it's just that. Yeah. When I when I saw it, it really looked like just a bad ankle sprain. I was like, I think he'll be out like two weeks minimum, you know, a, a month max. I was thinking maybe like two weeks when I saw it, but it's two to four. And you know what? Let him get healthy. Let him take his time. It, it's not a big deal. But anyways, takeaways from last night's game beyond the Knox injury. Yeah, I mean... Tim Hardaway Jr. was fairly inefficient. I think he was eight of twenty-one. But my big and I tweeted it out earlier today. My big thing with him has been through the first three games, which is still a microscopic sample and not indicative of a win of any kind. But he's shooting really well from deep, and if he's going to do that, you can live with the overall inefficiency. Like I don't care if he's missing some um, shots inside the arc that he normally should hit or he should just hit in general if he's going to shoot 40 some odd percent and I think he's on the he's like 39 point something percent from three let me get the exact percentage but 39.3 percent so so I mean when you and I had talked about a lot of the predictions and hopes that we would see for this upcoming season we simply just said hey man if he shoots like 35 percent from three that would be a win so if he's going to shoot 39 percent and then pretty much the exact same field goal percentage. Like, I would take it. Like, if you're going to shoot anywhere more efficient, uh, efficiently, I would obviously, we would all take the three-point shooting. So that that's one thing. He was 5 of 11 last night from deep, which that's, that's good. That's right. what you would want from him. And taking 11 threes is also good. So when more than half of his shots came from deep last night, I don't mind the overall inefficiency. But um, outside of that, uh, big thing too is just Ennis Cantor. Him and Timmy, they're gonna go as this team's gonna go as uh, Cantor and Timmy go. So if those guys are gonna consistently do this kind of thing and and be the rocks for this team, then um, we're gonna see a lot of games like this. I think. I mean, Cantor was just the last couple of games, even against the Nets, especially against the Nets, he was just scrapping and clawing. And um, you know, last night even with the Celtics, he had a lot of difficulty. That they are really good and versatile with how they can cover bigs. And he still managed to kind of fight his way to, you know, 17, 15, and, you know, a couple of assists, a couple of steals. So against a really good Celtics team like this, that's encouraging too. So I I did enjoy that as well. Um, Trier was fun. Seeing Dotson get some burn was fun. Uh, Noah Vonley continues to impress me with his energy and effort. But um, what about you? What did you think? 
Fonley is just a vacuum on the boards. Like, that man just sucks in rebounds. It's amazing. Like, he had 11 rebounds, or I think he had 10 rebounds in 11 minutes at one point last night. He, he did. And he, finished with thir- and, he, and he finished with 13. Right. So Three assists, too. And he's had some some nice passing moments. But to your Hardaway point, it's it's important to consider efficiency through the lens of a three-point shooter, right? So we look at someone like Robert Covington, who more than half of his shot attempts are threes. There's a reason why he never shoots that high of a percentage from the floor. And that's because his percentages are naturally pulled down because he's taking threes, which are not as high percentage of a shot. They are a better shot in terms of expected point value, but they're not a higher percentage shot. So if Tim Hardaway Jr. is going to shoot 42% from the floor this year, he's going to be taking, you know, seven, eight threes a game and making them at a 39% clip, that's good. But I also think that we need to keep in mind, this is a guy that usually finishes around the rim really well. So if his three-point percentage stays in that area, his field goal percentage is going to be higher. But I'm skeptical the three-point percentage will stay that high. I I think he'll still end up settling in around 35, which, again, I'd love. And we know that he's going to have some tough games. He's going to have some tough games from the floor. He can be frustrating at times because he gets into himself a little bit. I liked at the end of the Nets game, you saw his comment where he said, I took too many shots that I need, I need to involve my teammates because he didn't have any assists after having five assists in the first game. And you could tell, you know, he when he runs the pick and roll, he can work it. And, you know, all I'm saying, it'd be a real shame if Tim Hardaway Jr. sat here listening to us all summer Tell him what to do to get better. Because I'm thinking that's what happened. It's got to be it. Only explanation. Yeah, honestly, it was a little. I know we talked about it privately, but yeah, I, I want to get a little victory lap in while we can. I mean, it looks like he's doing exactly what we hoped. You know, a lot of it is just. I, I know he's still missing some shots, but it doesn't look like he's truly forcing it like he did last year. Like most of the action that he's getting here is either a in transition, or b they're really just running him off a lot of action, which. That's something that we griped about with Hornacek's offense was there wasn't a lot of movement. It was a lot of stagnation and a lot of, you know, KP and Timmy having to create on their own, which obviously always leads to more inefficient shots. So what we've been seeing early in the season, and it's the only sample we have to work with of meaningful games, but they seem to run Timmy around lots of screens to do lots of different things, whether they're going to have him roll to the rim and get him that downhill start. We've seen that, which is good for a guy whose strength is transition because it's kind of in the same vein. So getting him running to the rim like that is good, and he finishes well around the rim generally. So that's something that you'd want to keep pushing. And then uh, if that's not there, if the lane isn't there, generally he has a lot of space now to just you know set his feet and get a nice clean shot up, whether it's behind the arc or a couple steps in. So that was one thing I noticed in the Nets game was he had, a, I know he didn't have any assists, but he had a lot of really clean looks off of screens where he just had three or four feet between him and the next defender. So if he's going to take those looks, you can't, you're obviously going to, are going to hope he starts making them, but those are exactly what you work for when you create sets in an offense, you work for just clean open looks for your jump shooters. So um, I really have no complaints with Timmy so far, and I know we can get into his defense a little bit now or later if you want, but... Yeah, no, let's get into it right now. Talk about his defense. He's just been very active. I'm not going to sit here and say he he's suddenly a world-class defender or even a a slightly above passable defender, but he's been he's been pretty damn good, you know especially... Kyle, wait, hold on, hold on. I need to stop this right now. Do you know that he gave up a game-winning bucket and that he shouldn't have even been on the floor in that situation? Oh, God, he... Ooh, I'm glad you, I was sitting down when he told me that. I know, that right? Just, oh, my God. 
suck the wind right out of me. But no, but um, I, I was watching I, I watched the Nets game this morning, and uh, I didn't get a chance to watch it live. And I just wanted to be, and I saw the highlights, and I saw that last bucket, but I just wanted to watch the rest of the game. And the whole game, he was very active. He had a, you know a couple of steals or tips, just diving into the passing lanes, which I that's that's off ball awareness. That's important. That would be a huge step in his uh developmental uh, defensive growth. But you know his on ball was really good. The way he guarded Levert whenever he was on him was mostly pretty good. I'm not going to say again he's he's suddenly a world class defender, even a passable one, but. He did his job, is what I'm trying to say. And on that last bucket, too, he got beat and then still recovered in time. And then he made Levert adjust his shot. Like, you, you guys have to understand, the NBA is about offense. And it's filled with guys who can just get buckets. And sometimes, and another thing I'll, I'll get to later on in this, too, because Tatum did this a lot last night. Sometimes um, it doesn't matter how good of defense you play. It just It's simply even the best defenders. It just does not matter. Sometimes you could play picture perfect defense, and then some guy is going to adjust in such a way and just make the shot. And that's what Levert did, and you just got to kind of tip your cap to him. Now we can argue about and get into this later on or after this discussion about whether Frank should have been on him for the same reasons that they kept Timmy on him, but uh, in terms of development. But I, I just thought I, I don't know how anybody could have really defended that drive better outside of just presenting the drive. Uh, preventing the drive to begin with, but I thought he recovered and defended that about as well as you could hope. Tatum is going to haunt the Knicks for years, and it makes me sick to my stomach. He was awesome last night. He was, and I mean, I was I was tweeting some clips from my account just defensively. He was just hit, just dropping buckets on guys' heads. Like Lance, Lance would guard him well. Timmy would guard him well. And he's just hitting these fadeaway really heavily contested jumpers and if again if he's going to hit those shots if anyone's going to hit those shots you tip your cap and move on like that's going to happen to you sometimes yeah now about timmy do you subscribe to the theory in the nba that defense is mostly about effort do you believe that to be the case um i'm going to pick my words carefully i don't know if it's mostly about effort but it the effort has to be there like there's a it's it, efforts required. I don't know if it's mostly about effort because to me, it's probably half effort, half instincts. Like if you don't have instincts, you're not going to be able to make any defensive plays. You're going to get beat. You're not going to rotate when you need to. You're not going to switch when you need to. Um, you know, you're not going to notice certain screens and whether you should go up, you know, over or under them. So I, I don't know if it's the only thing because we've seen, I always go back to this when Amari was with the Knicks that guy tried defensively. He just stunk because he he wasn't good. He didn't have the instincts for it. You know, he they put him in positions to succeed, like in his first season when he played the center, um, and they basically just said, you know, stick around the rim. That's it. Just block shots. You know, try to rotate as best you can. And that was probably the best defense he had played in his career. He was averaging like two and a half blocks through the first half of the season. And um, But I don't... But but as we, we went on, we saw, like, he's just not good, you know? Like, and he was always trying. Putting it lightly. He was, yeah, he was always engaged. He was always trying, but he just wasn't good. So I, effort is not the only thing. Effort does matter. You have to have it, obviously, but you also need to have those instincts ingrained in you. I agree. I think I believe effort's a little more important than maybe you do in defense. But it's also about scheme, right? And it's understanding. Let's take Tim Hardaway Jr., one of the most athletic players in the NBA. I don't think anyone would deny that. 
no matter how you feel about his game. He's incredibly athletic. Mm-hmm. He's a bigger guy. He's got a bigger frame. I know he's more, he's not exactly, you know, a huge guy, but his athleticism kind of transcends any sort of build that he has to, that he has to work with. When he's under a new coach, David Fisdale, that's a galvanizing thing. And Fisdale has said, you're our leading scorer. Go get the basketball and go do your thing. I think that matters when it comes to playing defense in the NBA. Timmy and Hornacek never seem to really have a good relationship. That Those little things affect how a basketball player thinks. It's, oh, you know, I'm going to try on defense, but if that guy gets behind me, you know, it's okay. Now it's, this team is relying on me to be a leader, to be there, to step up, and I need to be that guy for this basketball team. And that's why when we see Fisdale put Hardaway on Levert and Levert scores the bucket and people are upset about it, Fisdale after the game said, Timmy's our guy, and he's. I wanted him out there because he needs to learn, and he needs to be thrown into the fire in these kind of atmospheres to become a better defender. So those kind of decisions have lasting impacts. And when you're the Knicks, again, the win-loss record doesn't really matter that much this year, and losing sucks. I tweeted this from the account yesterday. I know that these couple games have been the best result in theory because they lose close games. We saw nice signs from some younger guys. You're highly paid veterans played well, but with with Tim Hardaway Jr., giving these guys a reason to work hard and to want to be a factor on this team, that matters. And Fisdale's done a good job about instilling the culture that he said all summer. I know you feel the same on that. Yeah, as you know, I was really cautiously optimistic with the Fisdale. Fisdale's been my guy. Uh, when the coaching search started, I was hoping they got him, and then some other enticing names popped up, but um, I just thought with this roster and this timeline, Fisdale was the guy and loved, obviously, what he had to say all summer because that's what happens when you're a new coach. You go into your PR tour and you make sure you say all the things that are important to the fans. And normally we don't see the actions carry through during the season. And we are now. It's very, very early. And I, I never want to do victory laps this early. We're three games into an 82-game season. But he's doing the types of things that he said he would do like starting Frank Nielakina even if it's at the three based on the fact that he earned it based on that merit so you know having Knox come off the bench even though Knox was basically all but assured a starting position because Knox didn't play well he didn't earn a starting spot like that does matter and then the fact that it wasn't a one game thing that it's sort of just what it is right now that to me still matters so um I, I like that and then even even the Timmy thing, like somebody brought it up too. like, well, if it was because I brought up, you know, well, that's fine for development. If you're going to leave Timmy on Levert there and let him just grow and figure it out and live with the results. And, you know, if he gets burned, he gets burned and he's got to learn how to get better the next time, which that's to me is fine. I understand that reasoning and I like that reasoning. And again, Timmy played damn good defense there. So there's nothing we could really complain about. But someone brought up, well, if it was about development, then wouldn't you have Frank on him? Which, that's also valid. That's true. Like, you would put in your second year, uh, budding whatever position you want to throw on Frank player there. Like, that that does matter for development, too. But to your point about being the leader, like, calling out the leader on the team to have to step up, that's making him lead by example. And you would hope that trickles down to the rest of the team, too. So, I get what he's doing. And I think it mostly paid off because 
you know, it wasn't like Timmy just got blown by and it was an easy layup for Levert or a dunk. So I like what he's doing. It, it does help. It does kind of ease my mind a little bit and it should ease the minds of other Knicks fans who were in the same boat as me where it was, well, we, now we need to see the actions play out on the court the same way. But um, it, it really is hard not to be encouraged by what he's done so far. People really tried telling me Tim Hardaway Jr. should come off the bench this year. People really tried telling me this with a straight face. Uh, just a question for you, buddy. Did they also try to tell you and or us that Mitchell Robinson should start over the bedrock in the paint right now, Ennis Cantor? That was a thing that some people said. Some people easily, were saying e- Easily, this. too. Easily, too. That, that he, for sure, from day one, because he plays defense. Cantor's been darn good, man. He's been a much-needed source of output, which is the number one reason why he was always a perfectly fine fit for the team this year because they just need what he provides. They need scoring, which is why Hardaway has been such a nice addition to the team this year. I should say the new Hardaway has been a nice addition to the team this year. But with Cantor, his rebounding and his scoring, they desperately needed that from a big man with Porzingis out. And he's just been, he's been great. I think people forget too that the NBA is about getting buckets at the end of the day. Yeah, no, you're right. I know you say this a lot. And and as much as you know, I, you would love if your big man, your center, is going to be a, a defensive stopper. Like I love dying on the hill of KP being an elite rim protector because that's fun. It's nice to know that if your perimeter defending isn't good or if someone happens to get by, it's nice to know well KP is going to clean up a lot of that. Where Cantor, we can't really do that. And I understand that for a center, that is an important skill to have. But at the end of the day, like if you're going to turn out almost a twenty and ten regularly that's incredibly valuable. Offense is always going to be more valuable than defenses in the NBA. It just is. It's just, it's a fact. I I don't care if people want to argue with me that it's 50-50. It's not. If you can get buckets, you're going to be more valuable than guys who are just defensive stoppers. It just is what it is. Um, But, you know, Cantor has just been balling out. And again, yesterday he struggled against the Celtics for a while with, with Horford and Baines. He just struggled to get anything going. And then down the stretch, he just kind of got it together, got a, you know, a couple big buckets and um, was a little bit more aggressive on the rebounds and ended up having a nice game uh, at the end of it. But uh, against the the Nets, he was a monster against the Hawks. He was great. I mean, it, it's nice to see the vets here, you know, the Cantors and the Hardaways leading by example and letting the young guys kind of just fit in and, and not have to worry about too much of a, a role early on. You know, even Knox had a nice game against the Nets. He got going a little bit, um, and that was nice to see. But, you know, it was mostly, you know, Timmy and, and Cantor leading the way. And then, you know, Knox, when he had an open look or he had a, an opportunity, he would just take it. And if that that's going to help the young guys grow. You know, not having too much pressure, not being forced to uh, – run the whole show or do a whole hell of a lot. You know, a lot of people thought Knox was going to be the focal point or a, a really main cog of the offense. And it's nice to see him fit in as like an auxiliary piece and just get his shots up and pick his spots. So um, Cantor's role through three games really can't be understated, in my opinion. He's done a hell of a job. Well, that's another great point that you make there about why playing the veterans matters. And it, it's obvious, but you don't want to put these rookies and the young guys into the fire right away. You want to let them come along play in an offense, not be relied on to be the number one guy. Like if Kevin Knox was coming in right away and they were like, all right, you're a leading scorer, go do this. Like that, that's not good for his development. To have other guys around him to take some pressure off is good. And Mitchell Robinson, we, we know he's exciting. 
We know all of this stuff. He just hasn't been all that good. The, the Cantor-Robinson pairing should never see the light of day. They played together way too much yesterday. It's just a bad unit. It's just not going to work. Not enough spacing. And I know Cantor knocked down a three, but defenses aren't going to respect him from there. That's not really a pairing I want to see any more of. And you can tell me the plus minus or whatever. Like I don't think it was necessarily that bad. But I really, really, really don't like those lineups at all. It, no, it, it's very clunky. And I saw somebody tweet out that they can't wait to see KP and Robinson play together too. And I was like, what are we doing here, guys? Like that's never going to be you don't really want to see that. I know KP's played a lot at the four, but why would you put two guys out there whose main thing is is rim protection? You know, they both kind of get fried um, when they get pulled out. One of them's going to have to get pulled out. I, I don't really want to see that happening. I, I just think Robinson should just be the go-to big off the bench and just let him play whatever backup minutes he can play, but I don't like him being the four or Cantor being the four. It's just a weird and clunky fit, in my opinion. I, I just don't like that going forward. We've seen Cantor play the four in Utah, and it just those lineups just didn't perform well because he played along guys like Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert, and it just it never made sense. And it was that year in Utah when he played a lot of his minutes at the four when he shot a bunch of threes, and those lineups just weren't very good. And funny enough, a lot of, some of those minutes in Utah came with Trey Burke, which I think people sometimes forget I was watching the game last night, and Burke and Cantor always have had like a pretty nice connection. I think we kind of forget that they played together for a decent amount of time in Utah. Like they have a relationship baked into their pick and roll combo already. Like it's there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I liked. I really don't like what I've seen from Burke so far, man. All, All right. right, this is Expound this is a separate thing. Yeah, t- let's talk about Trey Burke. So I like uh, the Hawks game was fun. Yes, everything about the Hawks game for almost every player outside of. Knox for me was pretty fun but um since then I mean and he wasn't I'm not gonna sit here and say he was terrible last night he had 11 you know 11 points on 5 of 12 shooting which isn't great he didn't hit a 3 last night he was 0 for 4 so inefficiencies aside he still got 3 rebounds and uh you know 9 assists to go we, with we shouldn't turnover, forget he also steals. did miss the free throw that the Knicks had a chance to win the game or tie the game I should say and he had well, 3 free throws that, and he missed that, that's what I'm getting to so I just don't I don't understand why that happened. I don't like from from an intellectual standpoint. I I, I don't. Did, was he not aware of the situation? Like it was a broken play. I understand that. So he goes back and he gets the ball. When he gets the ball, there's about five and a half seconds left. He takes two or three strides up the court. There's four seconds left, and he's probably five to ten feet away from the the three point line. It was basically a thirty footer. There there was. Plenty of time, and one thing that he does is is he can be a shot creator, like an an isolated offensive creator. Like that's one thing that's in his bag. For all the things that we give him shit over, that's one thing that's very well in his bag. And instead of doing anything resembling that, he heaves this like thirty to thirty five footer, which was just it was horrendous. And and despite that, despite that horrific decision and not being aware of the situation. He gets fouled. Okay. So all you got to do is hit your free throws, right? Now, if anything, this this is always my thing. If you're going to miss one of the free throws, and obviously he didn't make a conscious decision to do this, nobody does, but just miss the ones at the end. Like, like miss the last one. You know, like, let You'd us... You'd rather have missed the last one? When you miss the first one, now I'm just, now I'm just angry. It, yeah, it's already no, been, right. It's already... It's already been decided. That's like, I was already, the last one, though. I was already, my thing was, I was already angry that he heaved up the shot, right? So yeah. then he gets to the line, and I'm like, all right, you got bailed the fuck out. 
go hit your fucking free throws. And then he steps right up and misses the first one. I was like, you motherfucker. And then now I'm mad because it's like, it's just, it was like back to back things. And that just infuriated me. Like we, this team shouldn't have been in the game. They, they should never be in a game against a team like Boston. So the fact that they were, and they, that, that, that they had the chance to tie it despite that abysmal decision and then still just botched it. It that hurt worse. That was like classic Knicks, like a, a classic Knicks thing to do against Boston. Like I'm so tired of seeing that kind of shit happen against Boston. And then of course it happens again. It just infuriated me. I hate Boston sports fans right now. They make me so angry to my core. It's, na- it's nauseating. It's nauseating. They have so much going for them, and they just have for the better part of this last decade, and it is nauseating, and I'm tired of it. It's really a, a funny time in New York sports. There, are, There's no good teams, which I, I don't know if that's ever happened in the history of time. I think the Nets might actually be pretty good. I'm not saying that they're going to be anything crazy, but like I, I think I said it on Wednesday, or maybe Wednesday. Like I think that they have a, a shot at a playoff spot. Karis LeVert is a freaking stud. He's been yeah, awesome. He's, he's damn good. Yeah, he's damn good. Like, I don't, I don't know how he's. I know he hasn't flown under the radar for like NBA Twitter folks, but I think the the general population is probably going to get a pretty good grasp on him now this season. But, and that's also a guy Hardaway and Burke played with at Michigan. Yeah. For those of you that forget, and that's why Hardaway, you could tell right after the game when Hardaway took the shot against the Nets, which not an awful look by the way for him from three to potentially when that came for the Knicks. It wasn't terrible, no. Uh, you know, he went right up and dapped up Levert, said, hey, man, like, great shot. You know, we've been doing this thing for years, and it's good to see us both getting our bag. But, yeah, it's, it's a couple tough losses. It's just losing to the the Nets and the Celtics back-to-back just is just annoying. Like, it's fine. It's just annoying. I don't think the Nets are going to be good. I, I think if you th- – what are you saying? Like, 10 to 8 seed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that they're going to be, like, a top seed, but I think that they – I think they're over-under – Maybe it was like 31. Like, I think that they can win 33 games. That, no, that's fair. I, I think I would agree with you there. I, I could see them, in my opinion, they're probably like the 10 seed. I, I don't know how much of a realistic contention they're going to have, but I could see them being like in the playoff picture, if that's what you mean. I, yeah. I could agree with that. They did get smacked by the Pacers last night, though. They got smacked. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, the talent level's still not all the way there. They got some, it, It's almost like a Knicks situation. I think they're just like maybe a half step ahead. Like, they got some fun young guys, but... There's going to be nights like that. One of my best friends is a big Nets fan, and it's funny to hear him talk about the team in a way. Like, they have a draft pick, and that's such a foreign feeling. I'm like, so are you rooting for them to lose? Like, what's going on? And he goes, I'm just watching. Like, I don't really even care what happens. The fact that we have a draft pick at the end of the year is great, but I'm not even thinking about it. Like, because they have young guys. Jared Allen's really good, too. But He's there really any- good. Well, let's go to the Nets game, because I know you watched that this morning. Are there anything, any things you saw in that game that you want to talk about that are any different from the Celtics game that we kind of had already uh, exhausted? Um, bad Ron Baker. Bad, bad Ron Baker, but that's always the hell that I'm gonna die. That's on. a perpetual but, thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was just, he was just terrific. Well, I mean, he, he was. Old. Let me ask you this, because we talked a lot about Lance Thomas in the preseason, and he's been pretty quiet. Obviously, we don't expect much from him. Have you seen anything? Obviously, with Knox going down, there's really no chance he loses his starting job. And I tweeted out last night from the account, like five minutes before. Knox got hurt. I said, "Yeah, it, it's your fault." So no, I know, I know. Trust me. Uh, as you would say, it aged like milk. <laughs> I tweeted out, "Does Kevin Knox take Lance Thomas's starting job by November 1st? Just thinking out loud, and immediately, Knox goes down with an injury. 
So you son of a bitch. Yes, it's all my fault. Please. How did you How did you sleep last night? Oh, I didn't. I I didn't sleep a wink. It was keeping me up. The tweet was Good. just running through my head. I couldn't Good. stop thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, you deserve that. I know. So I know. I know. Um, please, everyone, that's my fault. It's on me. You can at me and tell me it's my fault. Kev, I'm sorry, buddy. Uh, come back soon, please. As you know, I stand for Lance, and by stand, I mean. I don't think he's absolute ass. He hasn't really contributed much in the first three games. I don't think that's how standing works. Yeah, Listen, not, I don't stand for him. I just say that he doesn't fucking suck at basketball. I, I, no, but you have to understand, whenever I, I I don't know when this happened. I'm not even actually popular online, but whenever I have a take about anything, it's it's an overgeneralization of how I feel. Like I brought, We went into this uh, the last pod about Jokic and Doncic. Oh, you saw Jokic okay. last night? He must have heard me. Like, oh, he, my he, God. He read, he, he he had all of my tweets printed out in his locker, and he just went one by one, carefully reading every word that I've ever said, and he just nodded like that Cam Newton gif where he yep. just nods against he the went Giants. Out, yep, the he, he he went out into the court and he just absolutely decimated, just decimated. So, uh, that being said, nobody is ever going to shoot perfect from the field again. That's not a thing that that will always happen. Um, but it was. It was terrifying. It was a terrifying line to look at. I was intimidated reading it. I even tweeted about it just so people didn't think I was cowering in fear. So I said, so Jokic really just brave decided. Really by the way. Really brave. Just, yeah, you know, someone had to be. So he's like, uh, I said, Jokic decided that he had enough of my shit and wasn't ever going to miss another shot, huh? What a night. What a line. I give credit <laughs> where it's due. The thing is, again, when I say, when I take a stance on anything, people assume the extreme. Like with the Jokic and Doncic that I explained last pod. Don't want to get into it again. Same thing with Lance here, where I was just like, hey, guys, Lance is an absolute ass. And everyone's just like, so you think he's a good starting four? And I was like, guys, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that that's the guy I would choose to be a starting four. What I'm saying is you are oversimplifying why he would be starting or the things that he does that are that are good on the court. Like when I say he's a good defender and then people say, well, actually, he's not because look at these numbers. Then you have to, again, because people don't use context. Well, defensive numbers are already shitty. But on top of that. They're even worse. They look worse when you play on a lottery team for the last two or three years. Like, he does a good job of what he's trying to do. But the last couple of games, he obviously has had little to no impact. And after the Nets game, I would have been leaning, because you asked what I liked with the Nets game. The, the main thing for me was, besides the Timmy points and the character points that we already got into, um, I like what I saw from Frank, but Knox, to me, that was what I wanted to see. Um, he wasn't... I mean, he shot pretty well. He shot 50% from the field, three or four from deep. He had 17 points. But my big thing with him is always going to be not just the scoring because I expect him to score. I always need to see more impact outside of that. So he got six rebounds, and that's what I want to see. Are you scoring, and are you doing other things besides scoring to try to make an impact? And I saw that, and he seemed pretty active, too, on both ends. He seemed like he was actively looking on the glass, too. So um, that's... That to me is is what I liked, and if he's gonna do that kind of thing regularly, obviously if he's gonna average seventeen and six, he's gonna start in no time. But uh, just just that activity level works for me. So if he's gonna do that, I think had he not been injured, I think he honestly probably would have slid back into the starting lineup, or not back into. He finally would have broken into the starting lineup, uh, if not by November first, right around then. It's just, I think he's going to start coming around offensively. What do you think? No, I agree. I think that it's a bummer that he got hurt last night, obviously, so it makes it a little 
strange to talk about his performance on Friday as something to extrapolate forward just because we won't see him for a little while, but he got the same shots he was getting on Wednesday night. He just knocked him down. He was getting the same looks. He's in the pick and roll and he comes up. I still don't love that 18 footer. He likes on the mid range in a pick and roll. It's just not my kind of thing. It's it's not really what I want from him. I'd rather him step out or take it to the hoop, mm-hmm. but I mean, he's getting similar looks and that's all we're asking for. And I think that if you're going to take anything away from the first few games, I think that Fisdale has done a decent job of just putting his players in, in nice and easy sets to let them succeed. Like last night, he's running easy floppy sets for Timmy to get him open. One of the great staple plays in basketball to get your shooter open for three. Yep. He's running nice double pick and roll pin downs to get his players in space. He's running plays to get knocks on the move with the basketball. Those are the things that you want to take away. As I said, I, I like Fisdale and I like what he says, and I think he's done a good job with the culture fit. I think I'll have issues with his lineup choices. I'll have some issues with maybe some minor things that I can gripe about. But when you're putting your players in positions to succeed on the basketball court, that's what we want to see because that's not something Jeff Hornacek did with any sort of regularity. Yeah, the bit, the bit, that's a great point, though, because we brought it up in the last couple of pods, even through the preseason. There's just really an emphasis on, hey, like we know you guys can create, but that shouldn't be how this game goes for us every game. And we complained about that a lot with Hornacek, where they would just dump the ball into KP or dump the ball up to Timmy on the wing and be like, well, figure this shit out. Oh. Maybe like maybe like a quick, really lackadaisical screen, and then they would just try to go with something. But there's really an emphasis on, for me, like that downhill action I keep going back to because I see it for Knox too. Usually they start on, on the wing and they set those double screens for him and just let him run all the way around through get a nice big round head start and then just run at the rim or pull up when he has the space for it. And that's important. Like that's stuff that we wanted to see with KP last year too. And hopefully when he comes back, if this is any indicator, we're going to see that kind of stuff, but you should always be wanting to put, you know, your players in positions to succeed. Like Timmy and Knox are going to succeed sort of in that high tempo transitiony kind of offense, like just getting towards the rim, rolling towards the rim. So seeing that action run consistently for them is really, really encouraging. I really like what Fizdale's been doing, to be honest. To that transition scoring point, I got a question. Where do you think the Knicks rank in terms of total transition possessions taken in the first three games? Um, I think the only indicator that I would have for this was I saw a staff for them about pace before last night's game, and they were... They were just out of the top 10. I think it was 11 or 12. So I'm going to assume that they're going to be in the the top half of the NBA with this. Sixth. Yeah. So they 24 transition, what NBA stats defines as transition possessions. A funny nugget that I have open right now when I'm looking at this, the Spurs have run four transition possessions throughout their games this year. Never change, please. Uh, so the Knicks... They have been running. It hasn't been an incredibly efficient bag for them yet, but that'll come, and it's such a small sample size. So what are we saying about a coach? We want to see the things that he has talked about all offseason come to fruition. And when we're talking about culture, Fizz has definitely done that. Choosing to bench Knox, as you mentioned, was that. Putting Timmy on Levert in a situation like that, same thing. But it's also about on the court. So he said we're going to run. That's been the case. He said, we're going to shoot more threes. 
The Knicks are already better at threes. They're 17th out of 30 teams in terms of the frequency of three-pointers they're taking, which is good. Uh, Most of that is uh, thanks to Hardaway, but did you have something to say about the threes? Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, if they're just in the top – I think we said this last season, and the bar is very low, but just being in the top 20 is – just such a nice feeling. I just feel like a normal NBA team. And that feels when, nice. when I see that, yeah. I think I thought the squeak of your chair was you trying to say something. No, no but that was good synergy because <laughs> I did have a little fleeting thought. So continue. Exactly. But yeah, it's establishing a team and a shot profile that makes sense and pushes this team into the 21st century because they've been this team that chucks up mid-range shots. It's just it's been frustrating, and they still are are seventh in the league in mid-range opportunities. But when you're pairing that with a little more threes, that's fine. And those mid-range shots are because I still think there's a lot where Hardaway can can stand to to take it more to the rim because the Knicks haven't really done much at the rim so far this year and, and Knox. But they're doing the things that they said. And putting the ball in the hands of your playmakers is important. We've seen Hardaway on Wednesday and last night in, in the game against the Celtics. The man can work in the pick and roll because he has a nice game in the middle. He's very patient, which I think that you wouldn't assume and people outside wouldn't really know about Hardaway, but he's patient in the pick and roll and he can work it. And he has a nice little touch on a floater that he's got. He has the nice shot, obviously, as we know, in his you know back pocket. He can work it. And I'm disappointed Knox has gone out because I was looking forward to seeing him with more of the ball in his hands and we've seen Frank obviously have some nice plays in that uh it's just good to see the team sticking to the things that they said they were going to do all summer yeah so what one thing and then I got a question for you so to your point about the mid-range that they still shoot them there's a difference between the ones that they're shooting now versus the ones that they're shooting last year last year it was a lot of iso heavy or contested I mean they weren't really the cleanest looks last year but you know, just from last night's game and then the the Nets game too, one thing I noticed was a lot of these looks kind of come off of the threat of the three. Like they'll they'll set a screen. A lot of it was Timmy too is what I noticed. But they'll set screens for Timmy to come off. And then there's this fear of him going to shoot the three so they might overplay or play up high. And then it creates this little pocket for him to step in. And if you're going to get a clean look like that, that's fine. If it's like a Trey Burke, crossover, step back, fadeaway, mid-range, those are the ones that make us feel terrible inside. Like, we don't want to see that being shot regularly. But if if you're going to just step in and it's a wide-open look and and you're already, you know, kind of taking care of business in terms of the volume of threes that the team shoots, like, that's okay. To me, that's just a shot within the flow of the offense. So I don't mind that. And you have to change it up sometimes, too. So you have to be able to occasionally make those in-between shots. So I don't mind it when it's those kinds of looks, and I feel like uh, it's, again, too soon to tell that it, it means anything, but those are the kinds that I don't mind. But, I mostly agree. Yeah, so, again, it's not indicative of anything. It's not Nothing's concrete. Anything that we say right now is, is not, the sample's not big enough, but Absolutely. Those, are, those are small trends that we've seen so far. But I do want to ask you about what you've seen from Frank over the first couple of games, because I know... Um, he came out of the gates, I wouldn't say hot, but he had a couple of nice games, you know, whether it was the Hawks and the Nets, and then last night he was kind of invisible, but what have you seen? 
Well, he was pretty quiet last night, and he was a ghastly minus 22 while he was on the floor, while most of the starters were in the, you know, Burke led at plus three, and Thomas was a minus eight, so anywhere in there. I think we have this really weird thing to do with Frank when we evaluate him. It's very strange, because I think we need to start to just hone in on the type of player we think he is. And he's just a weird guy in this Knicks fan base because most people love him, but the ones that don't are very vocal about it, saying he's a bust. Someone tweeted, I mean, said, when are we going to call Frank a bust? I said, maybe when he can drink a beer legally. Maybe that would be fair to wait until that point. It's such a hard thing to do because we have expectations for him, but he's still so young and he's still learning the nuances of the game. And he still shows in, you know, spurts that he can run a pick and roll, that he can shoot the three that he can be a guy they can rely on for a little bit of offense. But it's interesting. Here's the thing that I've been toying with, and I'm curious what you think about this. How many other guys in the NBA that are as good as Frank is defensively are relied on for a bunch of offense? It's a question that we need to consider because we don't want to put Frank in a box, right? We know that we like his upside, we like his shooting, we like where he can go. But for what he provides defensively, whatever he can provide offensively, if that's simply a floor spacer that can shoot the three, he was one of five last night, but we've said for a year plus now that we like his potential there just because he has a good form and he can get in areas where he can shoot a nice uncontested three. What can he provide for this team offensively is the question. And then parlay that with his incredible defense already as it is. With him being so young, it's patience. It's understanding that with what this guy can do night in, night out defensively, he played well last night defensively. Obviously, Tatum played well, but he was still doing the best he could to to lock him up, and he was he always makes it hard for opposing offensive players. But it's it's a weird type of evaluation process we have to go through with Frank, and that's why it gets so contentious at times. Yeah, I will say, too, to your point about trying to figure out what he is, Fizdale had this quote, and I'm going to try to pull it up, but he had this quote about Frank figuring out who he is as a player and about Frank letting him tell Fizdale what that player is through his play. Yes, and before you go on, let's not forget, this is a guy that played in France as a kid in a French league, which it's not a bad league, but it's not nearly the level of organized basketball. Frank's still finding out what he is, too. Frank Nielakina doesn't know if he's a point guard or not. Right. And and that's the thing that gets stuck on it, too. I, I know we like to belabor the point that he's the point guard or he's a point guard, and we'd like to see him there. But at, at the end of the day, um, to me, it doesn't matter if he's the, a one, a two, a three, as long as whatever he's at, he's damn good at it. And this is the, the quote from Fisdale, by the way. He says, Frank, he just keeps giving me multiple things. We needed some scoring. We needed a spark, and he gave it to us there. When we needed the defense the other night, he gave it to us there. Frank is our guy that does a lot of different stuff for us, and he's wearing that well. He's going to fill out his role as we play more games, and I'm going to let him tell me what that is. I'm going to just keep putting him out there and letting him play free, and he'll start finding his comfort zone and where to be aggressive and where not to be aggressive as the season goes on. So – about that, to me, that's encouraging because, again, I don't care where Frank plays because to me, and this is the thing that I think people get caught up on, obviously we want him to score. Obviously scoring is important, and he's going to have to figure out some kind of offense, and I think that he will because you could already see like he he doesn't have 
the Andre Roberson offensive package. Like, he can actually shoot a bit. He can actually find ways to score. He has a nice touch. He has some playmaking ability. So just from that, mixed with his defense, I don't know why there's this bus talk because, to me, he has a pretty safe floor. Like, if your floor for Frank Bielakina is, like, in two years, he averages 10 or 11 points, maybe a three or two a game, a couple of assists, you know, three or four assists, and then he's going to play great defense. That's a really quality starter that you'd want in your lineup. Like, not not every pick is going to be a home run. Not every pick is going to be Kristaps uh, Porzingis and hopefully what we think Kevin Knox is. But sometimes you just need quality players who can contribute, you know, as a big plus on the defensive end. Like, that's still a win. Like, if he doesn't ever average 15 or more points, that's okay if he's going to be able to do basic scoring, make the most of those opportunities, make some good reads, you know, with his passing, and then play elite defense. Like, that's a fine player that you've drafted. They're not all going to be big wins, and that's okay. I just don't like this generalization in either direction that we do, that because he's great at defense, you know, he's a stud, he's guaranteed to be whatever, and then on the other end, that he's this bust because he can't score. It is somewhere in the middle, and to your point, it is difficult to evaluate, but I think we have to be objective. If you're going to get great, great defense, some kind of scoring and passing from him on, you know, which we've seen in two out of the three games, that's a player that you want on a winning team. It just is, and that's a safe floor for a player at his age, too, for where he's going to project to be. So whether or not you want to agree about him being a point guard, I, I don't really care about that. But I just don't see this this bus talk. That that to me is really silly. Frank is the perfect personification of watching the game to understand what a player provides for basketball. And it's what makes basketball such a fantastic sport. And it makes it a beautiful thing to not only talk about but to watch. It's understanding when you're watching Frank Nilakino play that his impact goes beyond the box score. He's one of those players that he can provide so much that you don't get to see when you're looking at a box score, and it, it makes the evaluation process, again, difficult because for these kind of guys, let's think about it. There are guys across the NBA that we look at a box score, we don't get to watch every night, so we might think they're not good at something. Maybe they're a really good pick-and-roll defender. Maybe someone on the Kings is just remarkable at protecting the rim, that kind of thing, that we miss out on because we don't get to watch, or maybe they don't block as many shots, but they contest the shots. Those are the things with Frank that really start to make it you got to zoom in here and look at him as a basketball player and understand what he can bring to the table. And like you said, that's defense, that's a sprinkle of scoring, and his destiny might not be as some incredible scorer that's also a great defender. His destiny might be, like you said, being a great defender, being a reliable three-point shooter and providing the offense with just a little bit And that's okay. And I think that if that comes to pass, if he's going to be as good a defender as we think he is, and as we basically at this point know he is, and also just provide that to the team, that might be okay in the end. But just give it time. The Knicks are bad. Let's not put out any juries on this guy until we've seen more. We've seen one full season. Let's keep this thing rolling. We already saw him have one good game against the Nets. He had that nice seven-point run. How about we just be patient, people? That's all I ask. Yeah, the the big thing, the last thing I will say for Frank, though, too, is he will at some point have to score to stay on the floor. No, you're absolutely right. Like, but that's not now. 
to your point about keeping it into the scope in the context of this season. Like that's why I'm saying like people are valid for saying he needs to score, but that's what I'm saying. It needs to be double digits at some point in the next couple of years for him to stay on the floor comfortably. Cause if not, then you get in those weird Roberson situations where despite your tremendous defensive value, they know they, they don't even have to, to look or sniff in your direction because you're not going to contribute offensively. And I don't think, I already think he's a better offensive player than Roberson is. So I'm not trying to like die on that comparison, but just as a really loose example, like he will at some point have to find ways to make pretty good contribution on, on the offensive end. But I don't think that does it. I don't think that has to be this year. Like you're saying it could be next year when KP's back. And that's when you'd like to start seeing it. And especially the year after, but it's going to have to come at some point. Last thing before we get out of here, let's talk about how the Knicks will account for Kevin Knox's absence. So we saw Damian Dotson get 22 minutes last night. He had a great end to the first half. 10 points, two assists, two boards, two threes. He's a guy that they're probably going to have to play more, which is something we've advocated for uh, over the summer and last year too. So more Dotson minutes, do you like? Um, I love. We've been heavy in the camp that Dotson should get burned. And should get his opportunities. And we were a little bit bewildered that he was buried in the preseason. And he just kind of fell out of favor even with Fisdale. But it was nice to see him get some good run. Like actual meaningful minutes against a good team. Like this is a, a team that allowed a pick to go to the finals this year. And it's early in the season. So that could mean nothing. But he stepped in and did a good job. He shot 40% from deep. 205 shooting. And uh, finished with 10 points, 4 of 8 shooting as a whole, couple rebounds, couple assists, couple of steals. And that's about as good as you hope to get off a guy who is glued to the bench prior to, the, uh, to tonight. But really like what I saw from him. Just nice and active. Um, you know, definitely helped keep the Knicks in the game last night. Him and Trier both, to be honest. To answer your question about the Knox thing, um, you would hope that Hazonia figures out a way to make an impact, but he's been underwhelming. So I think right now they're probably just going to, I think Trier is going to get a a pretty significant bump in his opportunities. Just that's just how that's going to work. He's just been too good offensively, but um, I'd hope we see more Dotson and not just an expanded role for Hazonia and them try to like force the issue there. So, I don't know that that's going to happen necessarily, but I think Dotson's kind of earned it. If we're going to, stick with this merit narrative that Fisdale likes to push. I think Kazonia hasn't really proven he deserves to stay on the floor, whereas Dotson came in and made the most out of his opportunities. So he at the very least deserves a nice little leash for that next game. For sure. And I would imagine we'll see that because that's what we've seen Fisdale do. Trier in his three games, 26 minutes, 16 minutes, 25 minutes. Pretty consistent. It feels like he's a guy that the Knicks are definitely going to rely on for scoring. And I think Fizz likes him too. So those are the guys you might see step up on Monday when the Knicks go to Milwaukee to play the Bucks, And that's the next game we're looking at. I really can't wait for these 45 days to be up for Trier. Um, it's maybe too soon to start thinking of him as, as this is who he is for sure. But from what we have to go off of those four or five preseason games, and then the, what we've seen the first three games, he's been, pretty goddamn consistent so i am thoroughly enjoying this and i am eager for the 45 day uh window to be up with the g league and then they can figure that component out because i think he's well on his way to uh playing a big role on an actual nba team consistently 
Oh, he'll play. He's played 22 minutes average so far. He'll play that all year. If oh, he's I healthy, I, he's I just be mean, there. I, I just mean separate entirely and away from the dub Knicks and Westchester. I know what you mean. I just, man, like if you imagine if if we found this guy, like if this is really who he is and he becomes a, a bona fide sixth man for this team and he and he's putting up these kinds of numbers and he was undrafted and we just kind of snagged him, that would be, I mean, wow. To get him and him and Knox, we still have, we haven't seen like a, a ton from Mitchell Robinson due to injuries from the first three games, but wow, would that be a big win? He's the best undrafted player in NBA history. I, I said it's not close. Uh, yeah, I, someone brought up this uh, Benjamin Wallace. I don't character. know who that is. Ben, ben Wallace, they nah, said. I don't. I, I never heard of him. It was I mean, very, tr- really a, a weird thing. Trier blocked two shots in his first game. Okay, like he can do what Ben Wallace does. Let's let's relax. Yeah. Any yeah, other not- thoughts? On the two games heading into Monday against the Bucks, nope. Just love the energy, love the effort, love that they've been scrapping and fighting. Um, if they lose, you know, the next seventy-nine games that way, I wouldn't care. If they're gonna scrap and claw and fight like that, and you know, it, it might be a long season loss-wise, but if they're gonna fight like that, it's always gonna be entertaining. It's always gonna be watchable and enjoyable. So, uh, hopefully, that's what we get more often than not. It's been nothing if not watchable and enjoyable. The first three games, two losses, but each one they've been in it, and it's been fun to watch so far. I hope that that theme consists through the rest of the regular season because that's when it gets hard when your team's losing a lot and it's March and you got to watch them go play the Magic at MSG and you know that it's just not going to be that fun of a game. So let's hope when we get to that point in this season, we still have some fun stuff to watch out for. Kyle, any plugs to make for TKW? Yep. Uh, please make sure you give us a nice little five-star rating, a nice little review. That helps us be able to do what we do. Um, so please do that after you get done listening today. Um, check out the TKW shop on T Public. So we have a bunch of new merchandise coming out. We have uh, hopefully something coming out soon for one of the rookies on this team. But we already have a nice Mitchell Robinson shirt that you should get. It's beautiful. So make sure you go over there. At least check out what we have. Holiday season's coming up. Make sure you favorite that. Uh, get some gifts for all the Knicks fans that you know. Make sure you subscribe to us on Twitch. I think it's just twitch.tv slash the Knicks wall. Uh, we have a lot, we're going to be doing a lot of pre- and post-game shows there with playing out the matchups um, on game days. You know, we, we might do some you know throwback Thursday things like we did with the, the Nets and Knicks. Last week, where we uh, played the Jason Kidd era Nets against the Allen Houston, um, you know, era Knicks, and and that was a nice little thing. So we're just looking to do more creative and innovative things to get you guys involved. So subscribe there, you know, join in, watch us when we do that. Um, outside of that, I, I think we're pretty much set. Just you know, go to the com. A lot of good content, good brand, in my opinion. I agree. Great website. All right, guys, Knicks Bucks tomorrow. We'll be watching. Thanks for listening. Kyle, we'll talk to you later. Take it easy, buddy.